This morning, I want to speak to you from the subject, We're Better Together. We're Better Together. That our absence from one another would teach us our need for each other in Christ. For this topic, I want us to look at Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he built into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and were not ashamed. We're better together. Behind every good man, there's a good woman. So we're told. But is it true? Maybe. If so, it would have to be equally true that behind every good woman, there's a good man. There's no need to argue. One thing for sure is most certainly true. Behind every single good anything is the one and only amazingly good God. Life apart from others is very hard to handle for most civilized people. Being away from other people and virtually alone is not a good way to live. Being alone not only makes you lonely, it can make you self-absorbed at worst and only self-reliant at best. In contrast, life in community is meant to teach you love, respect, service, compassion, generosity, sympathy, and a host of other good qualities, qualities you just can't learn, nurture, and grow in when you're alone. God made us in His image, and one aspect of being in His image is being in community. God is a trinity, and a community united with the supreme goal of glorifying and enjoying God for His fame to be extended throughout the earth is the highest good. When God created, He repeatedly declared the goodness of His creation, with one glaring exception. On the sixth day, 
God created Adam. But seeing Adam alone and without help, God said, not good. The only malediction in contrast to all the benedictions pronounced throughout the rest of the creation account. The context of this malediction actually begins in chapter 2, verse 15. There we begin to see at least eight things that flow from the Lord God's work. Eight things that show that we are better together in unity and community than by ourselves. God's institution of marriage is central to this passage, and yet the truths found in this passage extend beyond the borders of that sacred institution to teach us the blessings of community and the necessity of community if we ever expect to truly live for God's glory. The first thing we see in these verses is God's providence. Literally, we are told the Lord God took the man and caused him to rest in the Garden of Eden, to serve it and keep it. No matter where God places you, you exist to seek Him, submit to Him, and serve His purposes. God caused Adam to rest, which is what Israel lost when they were exiled for their sins. God said to the exiles, You will find no rest. There is no resting place. Adam, unfortunately, experienced the same. Righteous Noah, in contrast, had a resting place. Adam was given rest, a place in the garden to worship, and was told to guard the garden and serve the garden. Eden was the very first earthly tabernacle or temple of God where he dwelt with man. After Eden, the tabernacle under Moses, then the temple of Solomon became God's dwelling place. Then Jesus became the embodiment of God's dwelling place. And now you, the church, are God's dwelling place. In God's good providence, He has caused you to rest at home, and His purposes have not changed. You were made to worship God, to guard His temple, your body, and live so that the purposes for which He established your body as His temple are served. Second, we see God's precepts in verses 15 through 17. And not just any precepts, but commands that have built into them the promise, pleasure, privilege, and penalty that comes with covenant life. God abundantly provided for Adam. He was given all the fruit in the garden and the privilege and pleasure of freely enjoying each one of them, save one, as well as the pearl of what would overtake him should he seek to be his own God through disobedience. Can you imagine in this world attempting to seek God, submit to Him, and serve Him without the aid or encouragement of other people? Do you think it is really possible in this world to adhere to God's commands 
without the help and admonitions of others? Do you think it is possible to truly enjoy the blessings of God apart from sharing them with others and experiencing the joy it brings to them? Of course not. There is no mystery why God in verse 18 declares not good about Adam being alone. He was created to glorify and enjoy God. Adam needed help not only to be fruitful and multiply, but also to enjoy God's blessings and obey God's commands. The ultimate reason for being in God's image is to be like Jesus, and that calling is impossible apart from a godly community. Having the whole garden to yourself might seem like fun, but you could not possibly learn to love others or be generous all by yourself. Nor could you have the context to experience mutual encouragement to be godly all by yourself. We simply don't have by ourselves the resolve or resources to live for God. Don't allow a stay-at-home order to persuade you that others are somehow not essential for you to live godly, or you are not essential for others to live godly. This leads to our third point, God's plan. God's plan for Adam to discover his need for Eve, and by extension others, happens when he is commanded to imitate God. Up to this point, the only one naming anything was God. Someone once said, it was not as if God was having a bad day and ran out of ideas. God called Adam and calls you to imitate him in the most minute and seemingly insignificant areas of your life. Imitating God's character seen in Jesus Christ is the best way to prepare yourself for godly community. Offering your minds to God's Word and Spirit and your members to God's will to become like Jesus is the best preparation for godly relationships in community. Seeking to live a godly life is guaranteed to expose in surprising ways just how ungodly you can be. It can leave you feeling very empty and very alone. Adam had not yet felt this kind of spiritual impotence, but socially, he was alone. He was empty. The cure for this emptiness, both socially and spiritually, can only come if God works. So, in Adam's case, God sends him a deep sleep, because human striving simply cannot cure this condition. So the fourth thing we see is God's performance, and we see it in full bloom at Calvary. There is no godly community, nor any good from community, without Jesus' cross and crown. At the cross of Christ, the eternal community of the Trinity was fractured because God's gracious love was being applied to our sins through God's wrath being applied to our Savior. And it was through that fracture on Calvary 
and its subsequent restoration that we can have community. And not just any community, but community that brings life, joy, and celebration of God and His work through us and in the lives of others. God used the man to build the woman. Don't miss that. That's significant. God in Christ has put you in the body. God wants to use parts of your life to build the lives of others. It is His work. God uses us to build up others is the work of the Spirit in us and through us. This is how we serve His temple and serve so that His temple is fit for His service. This type of engineering requires sacrificing your life for others to be built up. It is what Christ did for you and directs you to value others as equals, even better than yourself. Only God can put this kind of mind and this kind of mission in you. God brings others to you in order to use you to build them up. This, of course, is a two-way street. Eve was Adam's helper, but before she ever helped Adam, God worked through Adam to help her, to give her life. She came from him. We're called to serve Jesus, but before we can serve him, he helps us. He gives us life, then works through us his very own life to help others and give them a taste of his life. We grow in community as Christ works through all of us. The fifth thing that we see is God's pleasure. Adam's response to Eve was, that's the right move, or that's the right step, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Adam affirmed the work of God and the worth of the woman in one word. Later, unfortunately, he would renounce the same things in one word. But here, he takes pleasure in God's work and the woman's worth. We must do the same in community. Every believer in is God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, good works we need to succeed in the things God calls us to. Moreover, as we as the body of Christ are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, Adam rejoiced over his wife, and Jesus in our midst, our mighty Savior, rejoices over us with joy. By his love, he has given us rest. He rejoices over us with loud singing. In light of his joy, he calls us to rejoice in his love, to rejoice in his people, to rejoice in their worth, to rejoice in his working through each one of us. Built into this gift of pleasure is caring for others in the body as we care for ourselves. Bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh, we are members of one another. Six, we see God's priorities. 
Marriage teaches a man to leave his parents in order to cleave to his wife and become one person with her. That's what one flesh means. It's not just about sex. It's about becoming one person. That unity is meant for God's glory. Jesus did this. He left his Father in order to unite himself with us and work with us and through us for God's glory. For us to live as Jesus' body and in his community, it requires us to prioritize him and his people. Is your life outside of the church more exciting than your life within the church? Are there things in your life that bring you more meaning and joy than what God is doing for his kingdom through you, through his church? If so, there is a serious disconnect in your life. What could possibly be more exciting than being united to Jesus Christ and a member of his body and on mission with him? It's like saying there's another woman besides your wife or another man besides your husband that you are more excited about or to whom you are more committed, which leads us to the seventh thing, God's passion. We are told that both Adam and his wife were naked. It's implied later that they did not know they were naked. They discovered nakedness when they sinned. Prior to sin, Adam and his wife were totally God-centered and not self-centered, so much so that they didn't know they were naked. It is this kind of orientation that shapes your priorities. We need this Christ-centered, self-forgetting orientation. This is the only orientation that equips us to be a true blessing to others in community. Finally, connected to all of this is God's peace. Though naked, they were unashamed. They were not ashamed of themselves. That's what happens in a good marriage and in a a good community. In marriage, it leads to every level of nakedness, vulnerability, and transparency. But in a church, it leads to a community so grounded in Jesus and his gospel by whom we are justified, reconciled, adopted, and restored to our Heavenly Father that we are equipped to be open, honest, vulnerable, and weak, and still hear not only the approving voice of our Father, from the lips of his children, but also the exhortations to godliness we are called to give to one another in view of the specific weaknesses we share with each other. In the body of Christ, in a good community, we're covered, covered by the blood of Christ, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and we affirm these realities to one another as well as the reality that we are filled with the Spirit of God and empowered to live for Him. As sons and daughters, we not only preach grace for our sins, but grace for our sanctification, so God's glory is seen in both His cross and His crown over our lives. We preach peace, shalom, well-being, completeness, wholeness in Jesus Christ to one another, and we are not ashamed.